Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Everybody and welcome to another edition of Hangout in the Holy Land, Land Grant Holland's flagship podcast. Coming at you here with really our first sort of off-season style of podcast. Even though there is still an Ohio State game to be played later on, we will take the time to uh, to preview that closer to when that game is coming up. But I am your host, Gene Ross. Joining me as always as Josh Julie. Josh, how are you doing on this fine Tuesday evening? I'm doing good, Gene. I was worried about this pod, or I thought it was time to pivot to basketball. But I think we'll let our bucket heads kind of uh, take the lead on that for the time being it seems like the ohio state football program and the team is the the gift that never stops yes there will certainly be time on this podcast to discuss ohio state basketball which does look like they have a, a very good chance to be a, a fun team this year we shout out to our our bucketheads pod boys for holding that down if you want to hear more on that team definitely check out their pod that comes out every week uh, but for now like josh said there is there is still a ton of ohio state football news to, to sift through each week and then you know, I'm sure there will be for probably the next month or so especially with signing day coming up with coaching carousel going on there will be a lot to discuss but before any of that we have some some transfer portal uh, stuff to sort through today the first one there's, there's a positive and a negative Josh where would you like to start today uh, I'd like to get my vegetables out of the way Let, let's get the bad news out of the way or the potentially bad news out of the way all right I was I was hoping you'd say that because I wanted to start there as well uh, the, the, the news of the day uh, today being Tuesday, is that Ohio State is no longer pursuing uh, cornerback Eli Ricks in the transfer portal. Former five-star cornerback, he's been rumored to be like potentially transferring to Ohio State like two or three times now since landing at LSU. Um, he never actually had officially entered the transfer portal until now. This year he now is. It seemed like it was between like Ohio State, Alabama, and a school or two else. Uh, but Ohio State is seemingly taking themselves out of the running. Um and, you know, it's it's an odd decision based on what we've seen from Ohio State's defense this year. They certainly looked like they could use some extra help, especially in the secondary. Um, and having a player of Rick's caliber would certainly have helped the defense next year and, you know, however long else he has eligibility or before he enters the league. But nonetheless, it was, you know, the report was that they were they were making this move because they were worried about uh, attrition from its, its quarterback's room. And one, I think that's a stupid thing to worry about. And two, if that is the reason that you're doing it, I don't know why you would tell people that. Yeah, I'm confused to say the least. I don't agree with this. If Ohio State has taken themselves out of the running for Eli Ricks' services, um, tug twister there, but they have to have confidence in the guys that they've brought in recently. A lot of confidence in those guys, but the way I look at it is if you're so confident in those guys' ability, why were they not on the field this year? Or, or on the field this year as much. Um, because it's not as if Ohio State's passing defense was otherworldly. They were fine. They were good. And uh, you know, certainly no one expected Denzel Burke to play as well as he did, as early as he did. But strictly looking at the cornerback position, I, I don't know why you would be so upset to potentially uh, kind of disturb the apple cart or shake things up. You look at a guy like Cam Brown. He's been around the program for a few years. 
good player. Uh, not an all Big Ten guy, not an all American. Seven banks clearly underperformed this year. Who knows if he's going to stick around? And then you look at some of the past recruiting classes. You know, we saw Cam Martinez in glimpses, but he is no longer, or he's not a cornerback. He's more of a safety, potentially a bullet kind of guy. Um, I'm not sure if they've identified Ryan Watts's position yet. Not a top end corner, at least from what we've seen so far. Um, the 2021 class, they obviously brought in Ja'Kalen Johnson and Jordan Hancock. Those are the two guys that I think Ohio State's coaching staff must feel very confident in. We really didn't see either one of them on the field this year. Ja'Kalen Johnson was obviously injured, but they were both high-end four-star recruits, top 75-ish nationally, top 10 guys, top five guys at their position. I think it comes down to those guys, and I don't know if they – are, are trying to avoid kind of seeing those guys pre leave, I'm sorry, leave the program, or I don't know if they're fearful of 2022 decommitments, but it, it's not as if the cornerback room is swimming with talent. There are guys that, um, you know, it's, it's yet to be determined how good they're going to be at Ohio state, but it's a lot of unproven commodity. There are a lot of unproven commodities in that room. Eli Ricks is proven. Uh, you know, he was banged up this year. He only played in four games, I believe. Last year, he played in eight, so he's missed some time. But we're talking about a freshman All-American. In eight games as a freshman, he had four picks, two of which he returned for touchdown. They were obviously in on him prior to his enrollment at LSU, so... I don't know why bringing in one guy would potentially upset all of this and throw the defensive back kind of uh, chemistry into chaos. Do you? No, I, it seems to me like it would be more of a situation where, you know, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Um, you, like you said, this is a guy in Eli Ricks that's, that's a proven commodity and all-American caliber talent in the defensive backfield. And while Ohio State has, you know, one guy that we've seen that we know is going to be good next year in Denzel Burke, the rest of the guys behind him either haven't played up to a level that, that Ohio State needs them to or haven't played at all, and we don't quite know what they are. I, you know, I, I personally think that Jordan Hancock and J.K. Johnson will both play a significant role next year and, and could be very good players down the line, but we don't really know that yet. And we know that Eli Ricks is a good player, and he's a guy that if you put him in Burke uh, at your, as your outside corners next year, you're in really good shape. So I think it's a kind of a, kind of a short-sighted decision there. I know that they do have a lot of talent on the roster that I guess they they believe in. They have a bunch of good players coming in at the position in 2022, whether that be Terrence Brooks at corner, uh, Jair Brown, Ryan Turner, Kai Stokes, who's more of a safety. They have a bunch of uh, defensive back talent coming in. But like you said, I don't know if it's if there's anybody you're like super scared of losing because at the end of the day, like if a guy's starting, he's not going to transfer. Like Denzel Burke isn't going to leave Ohio State because Eli Ricks comes here. He's just going to be your one and your two. So like... I don't know. It seems like if you were going to lose anybody, it would be the, the guys that are at the bottom end of the pecking order anyway. And I don't know why you're so scared of losing those guys when they haven't really. I mean, you wouldn't trust them even to play in year one in campus in terms of, you know, Hancock and Johnson, who was injured. But I don't know. It seems like an odd move to me. Like if they I don't know why they would admit that if that was the case. I You know, even if they were like, say, you know, say they had some character questions. You know, this is a guy that has been seemingly thinking about the portal for every year that he's been at LSU. And I don't know if that's something that Ohio State is interested in. Maybe they wanted a player that shows a little bit more loyalty to a program. But either way, like, I don't know, he's, he's a really good player. It doesn't seem like he has off the field issues that we know of. And, and, you know, even if that is the case, that doesn't seem like the reason Ohio State's doing this. It seems more that they're afraid to lose more guys to the portal. But I don't think that there's really a reason to be scared of losing guys to the portal because you're not going to lose the top guys. And it's a bit of a 180, <clears throat> excuse me, from what we've seen in the past couple of years. I mean, the Justin Fields situation was an entirely different animal. He was a proven commodity, top-end sort of talent, and Ohio State was unsettled at the quarterback position. But then they brought in Trey Sermon last year, and uh, it's not as if there were not veterans on the team. Master Teague was on the roster. Master Teague was a good back two years ago, uh, but they still brought in Trey Sermon. They sort of worked him in, but they it's not as if they were upset that or, or they were opposed to bringing him in at, at the risk of upsetting a guy like Master Teague. So it's not like they haven't done this before with transfers. And 
those past transfers, they, they've worked out well. Noah Ruggles was a guy, um, not, not a ton of competition uh, at kicker, obviously, but they brought him in. They brought these guys in at needs, and I feel like cornerback, maybe it's not your biggest need, but it, this isn't your wide receiver room where you've got four, five, six infinity guys that you're super excited about, and, and we don't know their thought process. Maybe they are super excited about a guy like Jair Brown, who's coming in this year, or Ryan Turner, who's sort of a late riser, but you're talking about a guy who was the 343rd ranked player in the country coming in in this 2022 class. You're not bringing in five-star guys uh, really in the last three years, and that's what Eli Ricks was two years ago. He was a five-star guy. He was the number two corner in the country, I believe. Um, if not the number one, I think it really depended on the service. So it, it definitely, it's a head scratcher to me. But if I, if I squint real hard, I guess I can sort of see the point. If you love this team's chemistry, do you want to throw that in, into chaos and, and introduce these uh, unknown variables, but we're talking about one guy and we're talking about one high-end talent, not replacing your whole room or a whole position group. It worked out well for Michigan State. We saw all the transfers that came in for them. Granted, they were not able to recruit and there were different circumstances, but um, I, I, in this case, I think the risk was worth it. And I, I guess I am of a differing opinion than these Ohio State coaches. Yeah, I'm going to tell you now, um, as a Mets fan, one of the reasons that they claimed last year they didn't uh, go after more guys at the trade deadline was because they didn't want to upset clubhouse chemistry. Uh, and so they didn't do anything to bolster their rotation or you know really help out the lineup outside of Javi Baez, and then they missed the playoffs. So sometimes worrying about uh, you know clubhouse, uh, like the, the way that the team is perceived or the way that you know the, the relationships are across the team and hurting feelings, I guess, uh, sometimes that that shouldn't outweigh the, the on-field product. And unless, you know, I don't think Eli Ricks is like a murderer. I don't think you're bringing in like a, a terrible guy. Uh, if you were to bring someone into the program, I doubt he would have much of a negative impact on the way that the locker room is perceived. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, I mean, Ter Terrence Brooks that they have coming in is is a highly regarded corner. He's the number 50 player in the country overall. I mean, he's on the verge. He could very well be a five-star by the time things are, are well and done. He seems like a very good player. Um, and, and while we're on the topic of sort of recruiting and, and defensive backfield, there is also a chance that uh, 2023 commit Sonny Styles uh, reclassifies to the 2022 class, which would be very interesting. And now he's a safety, but, you know, with the way that we've seen Ohio State safety play next year, this is a kid that's the number six player overall in the country, number one safety in his class. If that's a kid that comes to Ohio State next year, I think he very well could be, you know, I don't know if he's going to start because of Josh Proctor, but if they go, you know, if they go to a two safety system, perhaps with a different defensive coordinator, which we'll talk about a little bit later, um, I think there's a chance you'll see Sonny Styles. I don't want to ruin anything, but we're definitely going to talk about that later because we got some breaking news. Really? Jim Knowles has been officially hired by Ohio State, the Ohio State University, as its next defensive coordinator. I don't have all the details yet, but that looks like that just came across in an official capacity. Wow, look at that. Yeah, Josh and I were planning on talking about this uh, later in the pod. There was... You know, there was some rumors floating around today that they had. And we'll get to, to it. We'll get yeah, to it. We will. There were some rumors today today that they had agreed to a deal in principle. Uh, but this is this is a big hire for Ohio State. Yes, we will. We will definitely talk about that after done with some of the transfer stuff. But that is that is great news for for Ohio State. I think that's a really great hire by Ryan Day and one that we will we will dive into further here in a little bit. But just you know, rounding out some of the transfer stuff. If you want to talk more on a positive note, I would say. Um, Ohio State did receive a crystal ball from Bill Kerlick for uh, former Oklahoma tight end Austin Stogner. Um, I don't. I'm not going to get super excited about a, a tight end transfer based on how Ohio State plays offense and the way that you know they had a really good tight end this year and Jamie Ruckert didn't really use him. Um, doesn't seem like they really need him in the way that they run their offense. But uh, Austin Stogner was a guy that played really well at Oklahoma. He's you know he he would probably be if he does wind up coming here the Jeremy Ruckert replacement who will almost certainly be off to the NFL. Um, so that is, you know, on the on the transfer portal note, I'm sure that we will see some more movement on Ohio State's roster, whether that be leaving or coming. Uh, but Austin Stogner seems like a guy that is, is potentially on his way to Ohio State. And you'll take it. It's nothing that is uh, earth shattering by any means, but he's an experienced guy. Um, it, it really comes down to can he block 
and play the sort of style that Ohio State asks its tight ends to play. You're right. I mean, we had Jeremy Ruckert here, and frankly, I don't think that we utilized him nearly as much or as often as we could have. But when you've got all the weapons outside that Ohio State has and did have, I you know, you can see why. But anytime you can bring in some experience where you don't otherwise have it, uh, you know, Cade Stover was the backup. He's a converted linebacker. You've got Joe Royer and some other guys on the roster with little to no experience. So if they bring in Stogner, um, I think you can only benefit from that. But it's still TBD. It's just with the tight end position, you never know how it's going to turn out, you know, Ohio state has brought in three-star guys and they've been great. They've brought in near five-star guys and they've been great. It's been a luxury that Ohio state has had, uh, you know, a number of solid tight ends over the years. It's just not a position that they utilize that much, but again, you're bringing in experience. And in this case, it's a little bit different than cornerback. Yes. We don't have the most, you know, uh, the greatest quarterback DB room in the country right now, but we've got some potential tight ends, a completely different animal. We've got a couple guys on the roster. Cade Stover is the only one as far, as far as I remember with any catches. Um, so yeah, bring them aboard. Hopefully that's something that they can get finalized. It's only going to benefit this team, but he's probably gonna have to change up his style a little bit. You know, the, the big 12 teams, I don't know how they utilize all of their tight ends. It's not like I watched every Oklahoma game, but it's a different style of ball, right? Especially under Lincoln Riley, it's a little more wide open. Whereas Ohio state is sort of similar, but they do expect tight, their tight ends to block. So my, my hope is that he can adapt his style just a little bit to fit the Ohio state mold. Yeah, you know, like you said, it's not 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 an especially deep room. So bringing a guy with experience, with starting experience, could potentially help the roster. I don't really want to spend a, a ton of time on on tight end because, like I said, I don't think it's super important. It is always you know beneficial to bring in good players at good positions that can help your team in any way they can. But I don't think that tight end is going to make or break Ohio State's uh, twenty twenty two season. So anyway, if it happens, it'll be great. If not, it's not you know not not earth shattering news. But I do I do want to get into this Jim Knowles news. I am pretty excited about this. Um, as Josh said, he broke the news on on here. Uh, Jim Knowles has been hired as Ohio State's next defensive coordinator. Uh, he will not be coaching in the in the Rose Bowl. His this takes effect on January 2nd. So, you know, once that game is over, he will he will take ownership of that position. Uh, Jim Knowles, for Ohio State fans that aren't aware, I don't know how much you've watched uh, Oklahoma State this year. Uh, but they had one of the one of the better defenses in the country, and having watched their offense in the Big Twelve title game uh, the last couple of days, uh, it was uh, it was very apparent that they, it was certainly not their offense that got them to that position, and that that led them to that good season that they had in the Big Twelve. They finished the year uh, seventh in scoring defense, allowing just sixteen point eight points per game. Which you know, in a, in a league like the Big Twelve that has all those high flying offenses, that's super impressive. They allowed only two hundred seventy three point six yards per game, which was third in FBS, and they had the fifth best run defense in the country. So certainly all metrics that you'd to see carry over to Ohio State's defense and I'm sure that you know the Buckeyes roster has a lot more talent on it than Oklahoma State does so if he was able to do that down in Stillwater I'm sure that you know good things are coming in Columbus yeah this is a really exciting hire in my opinion a lot of schools wanted to go after this guy uh he had been mentioned as a candidate for Billy Napier's opening at Florida or potential opening at Florida um he was in high demand and if you paid any attention to Oklahoma State this year, you saw a really, really good defense. You mentioned it third overall, fifth in rushing defense. The thing that I'm excited about is they were the 12th ranked passing defense as far as yards allowed. And in the Big 12, that's pretty impressive. Um, so it's not as if they they made their hay on one one side or the other. You know, it wasn't just strong in the run, weak against the pass. They were really good against both of those components. Uh, they led the nation in sacks with 55. They were second and third down defense with like a 26% conversion rate. So I'm really excited about this. I, it's still TBD, any other moves on the defensive side of the ball, but they have said he's coming in as the defensive coordinator. So I assume that that is his and his alone. We'll see. But to bring in a guy like Jim Knowles, who is a Broyles finalist and may very well win it, to bring him in on the back or, uh, you know, after a season in which your defensive, your defense really underperformed. And they've done this 
in big games going back for a couple of years now. You know, we don't want to relive the Alabama National Championship game. Jim Knowles has been there, done that. He spent seven or eight seasons at Duke prior to taking the position he did. He had at Oklahoma State. Uh, he joined them in 2018. Uh, he's got head coaching experience. It's not like he was super successful at Cornell. Uh, I don't know who has been super successful at Cornell, but that means he's a leader. Uh, he should know how to talk to his guys, talk to his position groups, and be a leader for that side of the ball. And if anything, it is a strong sort of personality and somebody with a strong track record, which Ohio State was was lacking this year. Um, you know, Matt Barnes did some good things, but it wasn't it wasn't enough. It wasn't up to the standard. Um, Kerry Combs, obviously, it, it didn't work out. Maybe he stays with the team uh, as a position coach or something like that. But they were missing this. I don't know if Jim Knowles is going to be the Brett Venables or what he was to Dabo Swinney at Clemson, but it's a strong hire. And it's something that I think that they really, really needed on that side of the ball. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know if, if he's going to come to Columbus and immediately turn this into what we thought George's defense was, but I do think this is one of the, probably one of the biggest assistant hires Ohio State has had since, you know, since, a, since a, a, a Halfley or a Brian Hartline, I think he's going to have that kind of impact. I've just been I think reading, it's bigger. I yeah, think it's I, bigger. I, it is, especially from what we've seen from Ohio State's defense these last two years, this is a massive, massive change. A guy that knows completely what he's doing. I've been reading a little bit of a breakdown on him from uh, LGLH alum, Patrick Mayhorn. And, you know, he's basically saying that a lot of what he does is is his pressure packages are like what make him what he is. He's very good at coaching, you know, coaching up the linebackers, coaching up the front seven, which if you're an Ohio State fan, that is just music to your ears from what you've seen from this team the last couple of years. Um, he's going to bring a bunch of different looks. He does like the four two five, but he he mixes it up a little bit. He's not stuck in one way and he's good. He's a good guy at, at like kind of looking at what the other offense is doing and, and kind of adjusting his his defense to, to fit those schemes. And I think a lot of that is what Ohio State's been lacking in the last few years. And I think if those are the areas that he's going to excel in, I think it's a, a nearly perfect hire for Ryan Day and for Ohio State. And I'm very excited to see what he's going to do. Obviously, he's going to have you know so, some different guys in different positions. I think there's a ton of talent pretty much across every level, whether they're here already or coming in in the next class. Um, so there's, there's a lot to be excited about Ohio State's defense. I think that having a guy like Jim Knowles completely changes sort of my outlook on what next year was going to be. I was kind of, I, I wouldn't say kind of, I was very concerned that, that Ryan Day hadn't made any significant staff changes after the way that the year ended losing to Michigan and, and the way that they lost that game. But bringing in a guy like Knowles is, is a very, very big step. It's different from what we've seen Ryan Day do in his time at Ohio State yet. He's kind of brought in the guys that were little friends of the program or you know guys that he liked. And now this is the first really big external hire, a guy that was on the national radar for a lot of teams looking for a defensive coordinator. He was you know, probably the one A to one B for most teams looking for a new DC, and this is you know this is a very big step. It's a huge move, and I'm, I'm glad it's he's going to be in Columbus next year. I'm excited to see hopefully Ohio State's defense get back to the days of the silver bullets. Yeah, and Ohio State, or I'm sorry, Oklahoma State players, defenders were very vocal in their support of Jim Knowles. So he seems like a players' coach. Um, Brock Martin, who's like a D end OLB kind of hybrid for them tweeted out that uh, that Oklahoma State needs to give Knowles a blank check, give him whatever he wants to retain him. And so, uh, you know, unfortunately for Oklahoma State, that's not going to happen. But to see his players be so vocal in the events leading up to this is just another good sign that this is a good hire and the right hire, hopefully, for Ohio State moving forward. Yeah, I'm seeing some funny memes here. It's the uh, the Anakin meme where he's he's saying, I'm going to be coaching at OSU next year. And then, and then the girl's saying, so you're going to be staying in Stillwater, right? So you're going to be staying in Stillwater, right? <laughs> doesn't doesn't have to change. He only has to change the colors of his OSU polos. He doesn't really have to change much in terms of uh, any of his branding there. But yes, that is a very exciting. Well, and hire. I want to go back to his time at Duke too. You know, I, I don't have the the numbers in front of me um, regarding what he did with Duke's defense. But you think about Duke's longtime head coach, who has since moved on, David Cutliffe. Um, he was a very and he's a very respected college football coach and specifically a quarterback developer. But, um, you know, the Mannings have alluded to their respect for a guy like David Cutcliffe. Um, so it means that 
Jim Knowles spent a number of years and a lot of time with a, another well-respected head coach who kept him around as long as he did. So it just, it adds to his pedigree. And I know that, you know, Duke doesn't jump out on paper, but he was there for seven or eight years. Um, they clearly wanted to retain him throughout the entirety of his kind of career there. And to work for another big name coach, not a guy who's had as much success as Ryan Day. Um, it just leads me to believe that he can he can coexist and he can invoke buy-in from not only the coach, but his players. We've seen that um, with Oklahoma State. Mike Gundy has also spoken highly of Jim Knowles. So um, only positives have really come out uh, about this guy. And so uh, a lot to still be sorted out. But I don't think there's anybody out there who's going to say that this is a step back or a step back or a step in the wrong direction. I think this is the right move at the right time. Yeah, it seems like, you know, across the college football landscape, this is a universally liked move. It seems like, you know, exactly what Ohio State's been looking for. And, you know, while we like Kerry Combs as a guy and while Matt Barnes, Matt Barnes filled in admirably, admirably this year, um, they they needed a guy that that had coached a defense before that knew what he was doing and could take the, the supreme amount of talent Ohio State has on this roster and, and make something of it. And I'm sure we will you know finally get to see some of these guys used to the best of their ability next year. I'm sure there's a lot more staff building for Ohio State to do. Like we said, they do need to clear a spot on the roster. So somebody somebody that was on this staff won't be here next year. That's at least a guarantee. Um, I'm sure there's a couple of guys that that probably won't be back next season, but. You know, to, just for starters, if there was one move you're going to make to really kick things off, this was the one that you'd you'd want. And this is about as good as as they could do on this on this front. But just speaking of more coaching stuff, there has been a ton of coaching news in college football these last couple of weeks. Uh, the coaching carousel is going to be a wild one this offseason, and it has already gotten pretty wild with a pair of big moves since we last spoke. Uh, and those would be Brent Venables going to Oklahoma and Mario Cristobal going to Miami. Josh, which of these would you like to start with here? Either or, I think they're both interesting. Both guys had prior ties to the programs they are now the head coach of. I think the Brett Venables one is more interesting only because, um, you know, he was at Clemson for so long. He's not been a head coach. And so, and, and who knows what what state that Oklahoma program is in. You know, obviously they were going to lose and are going to lose uh, plenty of offensive talent and some future recruits. But I think this probably provides stability, given the track record that Brett Benables had. Um, you know, he worked under Bob Stoops. Now he's kind of coming back. Uh, I was reading that. I don't think he left on the best of terms or or maybe he was frowned upon for leaving. I, I didn't get all the details, but it seems like whatever fences there were to be mended, that got done. And Oklahoma got a deal done to bring in at least a big name coach. Yeah, Brent Venables was actually previously at Oklahoma for a while. He was an assistant there from 1999 to 2011. Uh, for their for his first five seasons there, he was their co-DC, and then he took over the DC role from 2004 to 2011 uh, before joining Clemson staff in 2012 under Dabo Sweeney, where he, he you know he spent the last you know however many years that is nine years uh, since 2012 uh, under Dabo Sweeney. They've won two national titles. He helped lead them to six playoff appearances. We know what Clemson's defense was under Brent Venables and how, how good he did in that job. You know, he was he was the sports highest paid assistant for a very long time. It seemed like it was only a matter of time before he would land a head coaching job. And he, I think he was just kind of waiting for, you know, the right job to open, a big job to open. And this was certainly one that he fits in well in. Um, and and kind of like you said, it's an interesting time for Oklahoma because they're very much a, a program that's in flux. Lincoln Riley going to USC, uh, was a really big deal. He, you know, a bunch of players have transferred. A bunch of their com uh, commits for this upcoming class have decommitted, and so it may be, you know, a tough year to uh, for Brent Venables to kind of get his guys in there and and change the the scope of the program. And of course, with the you know the move to the SEC looming down the road, it only makes his job even harder. But I think if there was, you know, if there was a guy that that you were gonna, uh, you know, a fresh coach to kind of lead a team through that, and especially a team that's been looking for a bigger identity on defense. Um, I, I think Brent Venables is, is a good hire for them, and I'm excited to see what he could do as a head coach. I do, you know, I, I didn't, you know, I obviously don't like, didn't like him at Clemson just because he was at Clemson, but I do think he's a very good coach, and, and I think he will do a good job there. And I think the thing that is very important for him and his success at Oklahoma, he needs to have, elevate, or hire a big time offensive coordinator to avoid a big letdown, I think. Um, especially going into the SEC, 
he's a defensive guy through and through. You know, I don't know the entirety of his career, but he has been a defensive, gosh, let's just say a mastermind for a decade plus. So it'll be interesting to see what he does on the offensive side of the ball. Um, I don't know that we're going to bring this guy up because I, uh, as far as I'm aware, he's not a candidate for any of the big time kind of head coaching jobs, but a guy like Joe Brady, who was just recently fired by the Carolina Panthers had um, one or two years, I think maybe just the one year of success at LSU, but look at what he did with that offense he was thought highly enough that he uh, was hired by the Panthers and that didn't last long. It was very, I think it was a very surprising move that he was let go by Matt rule. But I, I think that Brett Venables needs to find that next guy, basically the compliment to him, like he was a compliment to Dabo Swinney. Dabo Swinney was not solely an offensive guy. He was, and he is, um, you know, a, a great head coach as much as it pains me to say that, but he needs to find an equal, I think on the other side of the ball to, to keep Oklahoma in line or to help them keep pace with what they've been in the past. Yeah. I think Brent Venables is very much like the defensive version of Ryan day, wherein he could hire kind of a, a defensive coordinator. That's going to be more of a, of a co-DC while Brent Venables has a, has a big hand on the defense, much like Ryan day has a, has an offensive coordinator in spirit, but does most of the offensive coordinating himself. I think, I think it's just basically the opposite with Brent Venables. I think, like you said, he does need to find someone on the offensive side of the ball to run things, but at a place like Oklahoma, that's had, you know, has a ton of talent down there. They've been good on offense for quite some time. I don't think it'll be too hard to really keep those things going. And if he could elevate them, on the defensive side of the ball, I think that's a really great step in the right direction, especially if, you know, they're going to play in the SEC. They need to be a team with, with a tough defense because that's that's what that conference is. And, you know, I don't know if, if Lincoln Riley's teams could have really competed with SEC teams the way that they were constructed, where it was, you know, all high-flying offenses and not a lot of defense. I don't think that really, that really plays well when you go up against an Alabama or a Georgia or even like an Auburn. So, you know, I, I think that that's a good move for them while they, while they head into the SEC. I think Brent Venables will do a good job in that area. And, you know, I, I don't know if I don't know if Alex Grinch, Alex Grinch is still employed down there, but if he is, I don't know if he's long for that job. Uh, oh, I don't think he has gone with Lincoln Riley. Oh, OK, yeah. Well, that's he's got. He's, so he's going to USC with Lincoln Riley. Yes, sir. Yikes. OK, anyway, uh, that's <laughs> that's not what I not what you want to hear if you're USC. But I guess things are going pretty well for them, so they're not going to complain. But either way, you know, I, I think it's a good hire for Oklahoma. And I'm interested to see what it's going to be like for them in the next couple of years. I don't foresee a a college football playoff appearance for, for Oklahoma in Brent Venable's first year, but they could certainly compete in the Big 12. It's not exactly the the toughest conference in the world to win. Uh, so it will be interesting to see how they stack up. Obviously, you know, they have to go up against what Dave Aranda is doing at Baylor now, which is just another kind of an, another step up with, with Texas sort of struggling. Uh, Baylor is kind of that second comp. pillar. That's a really good comp, though, Gene. You know, Dave Aranda was a defensive mastermind at LSU and has done good things so far at Baylor. I mean, his first season was rough, um, and then they won the Big 12 uh this year, just one year removed from that. So I think that's a really good comp. It's a similar sort of situation. Defensive mastermind uh, kind of pays his dues, puts in the time and earns that next opportunity as a head coach. Yeah. And, and all Dave Aranda did was come here and, and win a, win a big 12 title. So I'm sure Oklahoma fans would, would certainly take that if that is the, if that is what uh, Brent Venables is going to do for them. Swiffling the page over to Mario Cristobal. This was a move I was a little more surprised about. I know Cristobal has a lot of ties to Miami, and and there was a lot of rumors in the works for a while that this was going to happen, but it just felt like to me, you know, before we kind of get into Cristobal and his his Miami ties and what it means for the future, it would just seem kind of odd to me that he was, it seemed like he was doing a really good job of building something at Oregon, and and I know he lost Joe Moorhead to the Mac, and they kind of lost a couple of assistants out there, and, and things were kind of, you know, trending in this direction, but it just felt like with the way he was recruiting out in Oregon, the way that he had that program going, he had obviously the big, you know, kind of program defining win against Ohio State this season. I, it just seemed like he was going to be, you know, there for the long haul and, and kind of really building something out in Eugene. But I guess that's not the case. Yeah, this was a head scratcher for me as well. The the move itself was pretty obvious, right? Cristobal is a Miami guy. He went to Miami. He worked for Miami. Uh, his first head coaching position was at Florida International. So, you know, within the state, he's obviously familiar with that, you know, potentially wants to go home. But as far as the, the coaching move, I think it's lateral at best. Um, Miami has struggled for a number of years now. And Oregon was sort of in, you know, the opposite. Um, 
since Chip Kelly's departure, there have been bumps along the road, but we talked about it this year. They were in the top 10 up really up until the end of the season. They got waxed by Utah twice, but they were recruiting at a high level, um, seemingly doing everything right. And I, I don't think that this was purely a reaction to Lincoln Riley now coming into the Pac-12, but yeah, it's just, it's a head scratcher for sure, because I, I, I think if he's going to find success at Miami, it's going to take some time and maybe he wants to, and is willing to put in that time, but he had sort of done it with Oregon. It seemed like he had gotten that program to where he wanted it. They were experiencing some success, um, but the allure of going back home to your alma mater, it was probably, obviously it was too much, um, but the the move itself and the job itself, I think is lateral at best. Yeah. I mean, the Miami ties are, are tough to ignore. Obviously he played at Miami from, from 89 to 92 as, a, as an offensive tackle. He was a grad assistant at, at Miami from 98 to 2000. Uh, he returned to Miami as their tight ends coach in 2004, where he stayed until he coached their O-line in 2006. And now, you know, here he returns as their head coach. But, you know, just looking at the two programs and where they stand, both within their own state and within their own conference, obviously Oregon, you know, kind of owns that area of the country in, in the upper northwest. Um, and with, with USC adding Riley, it adds some intrigue to the Pac-12, but still a very, I know they didn't win it this year, but they, were, they played in the Pac-12 title game. It's a very winnable conference, really the only, you know, before Riley was there, really Oregon was the, the pillar team there. Washington had taken a step back, Utah, until this year had taken, you know, it was kind of an up and down team. Not a lot of, of high-flying offenses, high-flying, you know, not a lot of top-tier teams out there on the West Coast to really contend with. So it seemed like Oregon's path to a Pac-12 title was pretty easy. Now you go to the ACC where, I mean, it's not it's not super different. Obviously, you have Clemson who had a down year, but they're going to be, you know, in contention for the title more often than not. I don't know how sustainable what Pitt did this year is with, with Kenny Pickett likely going to the NFL. Um, then you have teams like Wake Forest and a couple other, you know, Virginia, kind of these middling ACC schools. So I think, you know, conference-wise, it's probably pretty similar but then you look at like just region of the country and now you're playing at a school where you know Miami isn't even the best school in their own state they're probably the second or third you know best school in their own state so it's going to be you know recruiting's going to be tough and he is a really good recruiter and I'm sure he'll recruit uh you know in the southeast almost better than he did in the northwest but at the same time it, it's going to be a tougher job than it was at Oregon that's a program that's not you know, looked at the same way I would say that Oregon even is in prestige right now in terms of, you know, chance at making the college football playoff. I don't think Miami's been taken very seriously for quite a long time. And I know Manny Diaz probably had a lot to do with that, but it's going to be tough to, to play in a state where, you know, you have the Gators, you have the Seminoles, you have even UCF, a lot of these other big schools around you that you're going to have to contend with for both recruits and in and in games. So it's uh, it's going to be a tough job for him. But I like like we've said, it's, it's really, you know, the, the whole Coming home is, is tough to ignore, and it's something you want to do, and especially when they're going to pay him millions of dollars to do it. I, I don't see why he wouldn't turn it down, but it is it is kind of an, an interesting move, and I, I think it'll be kind of tough for him to, to get things going there. It's definitely a saturated area as far as concerns or as far as recruits go, but he obviously has those ties. He can speak the language to, the, to all the talent there in Florida, so I don't think he'll have any issues bringing guys in but to your point there are a lot of other schools to compete with and he's another guy um Mario Cristobal has, has done some different things throughout his career but I, I think that he also needs I, I think he needs a true offensive coordinator and that's why I was reading Joe Brady's name has already been thrown out again I'll bring him up as uh you know it, it's been rumored that Joe Brady and Miami have mutual interest and Joe Brady, I believe, is a Florida guy or at least spent a good amount of time there. So if Cristobal is able to bring in a guy like Joe Brady, who had so much success at LSU and did the things that he did a couple of seasons ago, then if you look at it as a tandem, this could end up being a bit of a home run or maybe at least a triple for Miami. They've got a lot of uh, improvements to be made in a long road back. But if they're able to bring in both of those guys, then I think it's a completely different um, animal that we're talking about here. Yeah, I believe they also stole the AD from Clemson, if I'm not mistaken, to come along with with Mario Cristobal. Uh, so that's that they are they're making a lot of moves out there. Uh, the only problem with Joe Brady, like Joe Brady's a really good, obviously, you know, what he did at LSU was tremendous with that offense. And I think he has a really good offensive mind. I don't think that, you know, the I know way what you're going to say, but I don't, go ahead. I don't think the way that the Panthers treat him was quite fair because I don't think they, they drafted well enough to kind of run what he would want to run. But Joe Brady doesn't like to recruit. 
uh, yeah. which is which is kind of an issue when you're at a school like Miami where they're going to need to recruit pretty hard in order to stack up with the other teams in that region and within the conference. So I, I don't know. You know, I, We know Cristobal is a really good recruiter. I don't know how big of a deal it would be if if Joe Brady isn't the most willing recruiter. Obviously, he was able to do it because they had you know some really good players at LSU, and I don't know how many of those guys he brought in himself. But you know, clearly the, the players that he had were, were wanted to play for him because they didn't leave. So... I don't know. That would that would be interesting. I do think they would probably, you know, need some guys that are a little bit better at recruiting. But if they do want to, you know, kind of turn the tides a little bit early and, and kind of make these flashy hires and, and bring in these big names to kind of change the kind of get back to the days of the U and, and put some prestige on Miami. Uh, I, I think that, you know, Joe Brady is an interesting option. I'm just I do. I am concerned about the recruiting thing. And he likes to jump around, too. You know, as a young guy, he's 32, I believe. Um he can do that young, like, you know, early in his coaching career, but he's been at William and Mary, Penn State, New Orleans. Uh, he was with the Saints, LSU and Carolina all since 2013. So he strikes me as a guy who, I don't know, probably wants to get back to the NFL. He's been there with two different teams. He was with the Saints and the Panthers and maybe eventually be a head coach. So in the interim or in the short term, it could be it could pay dividends. But he just he sort of strikes me as a guy who wants to maybe get back to the NFL as an offensive coordinator and experience success or maybe work his way up to a head coach sooner than later. So that's to be determined as well as, you know, a, how is the how's the fit going to be? And B, how long is that fit going to be in place? Yeah, and he's not the only new head coach in that conference. Obviously, Florida had fired Dan Mullen and has brought in uh, Billy Napier. Uh, I'm not going to pretend to know a, a bunch about Louisiana. You know, I watched a few of their games this year. Obviously, they won their conference. I did did watch that conference title game. It was fun to watch between they and uh, and App State. But you know, there's there's a lot of competition in Florida right now, and and you have a bunch of guys that that do recruit quite well at their respective schools. Um, I don't know how good of a recruiter Gus Malzahn is, but you know, UCF seems to be kind of up and down. So maybe they could take some some liberties there. Obviously, Florida State is not what they once were so there is opportunity within within that spectrum to to kind of take control if it's a good time to come in i would say to come into miami when when florida is bringing in a new coach florida state and ucf aren't quite up to par and then you know the rest of the schools in florida aren't the greatest anyway so to have all that talent in that region and to be kind of one of the more flashy schools potentially with the way that they you know with the, the hires they make and just kind of what the u is and you know the turnover chain all the fun stuff they do i think it is a kind of a a cool program to, to join so and maybe it is a, is a window of opportunity for them maybe this is the time that you know miami could kind of take over a little bit in the ACC like we said there isn't really you know outside of Clemson and, and UNC here and there it's it's not it's a it's a pretty wide open conference so I think that you know while while there are the struggles and I think it is a tougher job than Oregon I think that he's choosing a good time to do it based on everything happening around them I, I don't know if you had anything else to add about Mario Cristobal if you did stop me but you brought up a name and we're talking about the state of Florida I don't think we talked about it before um we're not national football guys but staying kind of in the national arena you brought up billy napier uh, as the new head coach at florida what do you think about that move because i've got my thoughts i wanted to hear yours uh, on the billy napier hiring for florida i mean i don't hate it it is kind of you know they, they got rid of dan mullen who on paper you know, I, I obviously it was clear that they had to get rid of Dan Mullen. He, the, the things he was saying about like recruiting and stuff at his press conferences, the way he was kind of ho humming everything that was going wrong with Florida's program. I, I think that their his his time at Florida had passed, even though the the product on the field wasn't as terrible as it may have seemed this year. You know, the overall record wasn't terrible, but I do think getting rid of him was the right move. Uh, Billy Napier is an interesting hire. Uh, they didn't, you know, you think of a program like Florida, they kind of maybe could have pursued some flashier options to start out with, especially with all the That's what I thought. all of the firings that were going on. But, you know, I don't I don't think it's a bad hire. I think he did a good job at Louisiana. I think he's a good coach. Um but I, I think he also like I think they had asked him something about recruiting recently in his introductory press conference and he had some kind of comment that that people didn't really like as well. So I don't know if it was I don't I don't know what's going on out there. Like you said, I don't I haven't followed Billy Napier's career closely and I'm not gonna pretend I did, but I don't I don't hate the hire. I don't think it's terrible. I, I'm only surprised that they didn't go after a bigger name. When you think about some of their previous coaches, you know, obviously Steve Spurrier for a number of years, Urban Meyer, Dan Mullen was a huge name when they brought him in. Um, and they had they had Will Muschamp too, correct? But um Billy Napier 
I don't know. I, I think it could be a home run hire. And I think it could get Florida back to where they want to be only because you sort of, you look at his resume and his experience. He's been at Clemson, Alabama, Florida state, Arizona state, and he was 40 and 12 as a head coach at Louisiana. So He's got a heck of a pedigree. He went two and one in bowl games, um, you know, won the Sun Belt for whatever that's worth. And um, so I think there's definitely potential there. You're, you can't always go out and get a national championship winning coach to change programs. You can't always go out and get a Lincoln Riley or a Brian Kelly. But I think the Billy Napier move has some sneaky potential for Florida because you know, you think about where they've been in years past, they've suffered uh, just like more recently, but just like Miami has, I think it's good for the state of Florida to bring in a couple of big names. I just, you know, we'll see what kind of future success they bring, but I think Napier on paper is a really, really good hire. So I wanted to bring him up. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned, uh, Wow, well, I just completely, you mentioned his name and now I've completely forgot it. Notre Dame. Lincoln oh, Brian, Riley, yeah, no, Brian, Brian Kelly. Kelly. Brian Kelly. I'm glad you mentioned Brian Kelly because since our last podcast, I think I don't think they had announced it until, you know, this episode, but they uh Notre Dame has officially hired Marcus Freeman as its next head coach. Um I, I think that's a really good move. I think that the players really, really like Marcus Freeman. And while he doesn't have, you know, previous head coaching experience, I think he's gonna do a really good job up there. I think that he is a very good recruiter. And I, and I think that, you know, as far as things go, keep they kinda wanna keep their program intact. They don't wanna bring anybody, you know, they don't want to bring a ton of new faces in. They feel like they've been doing quite a good job. I mean, they did finish, you know, number five. And if one of the teams had lost their in their conference title games or things broke differently, there was a chance that Notre Dame could have could have made the playoff this year. So I, I think it's a really good hire for them. I'm excited, you know. Marcus Freeman, I think, is a pretty easy guy to root for. You know, we've seen. I don't know if you've seen the video of them in the locker room, kind of reacting to the news. But the players are really excited about it, and I think that that's. I think Notre Dame did get, did a good job there. Obviously, they could have also looked elsewhere for maybe a more more flashy hire. But I think that promoting Freeman was was a good idea, especially because if they didn't, then Ohio State might have swooped in and tried to steal him as their DC. I think that it is a home run hire. I hope that it is, but. Marcus Freeman's unproven, no previous head coaching experience that could have maybe made an offer or gone after Luke Fickle. I don't know if we'll ever really know the details of that. But one thing that, uh, you know, you and I, we, we cannot deny the reaction from Notre Dame, you know, within their, within their program, they love Marcus Freeman. It may have been anarchy if they chose to go in another direction, I don't think it would have been, uh, you know, I think it would have been received very well if they brought in Luke Fickle, but those guys love Marcus Freeman. They uh, he's going to retain Tommy Reese, their offensive coordinator, a Notre Dame guy. So it, it seems like they're sort of more or less keeping it in the family, so to speak. And the players are excited about it. I'm sure the program, the admins, you know, uh, the boosters, all of that, they're excited about the Marcus Freeman hire. I am too. I'm glad that he received the opportunity. I think he's going to do well, but they're always, you know, he is unproven. So it's not a sure thing, but you just, you saw his, uh, or, you know, at least I watched his press conference and some of the things that he's said since um, being named the head coach. And he just, he seems like such a great leader. He was a leader on the team while he was here at Ohio State. I know he's well-respected here in Columbus as well. So I think it's going to work out well. And by keeping it in the family, I think that's a good thing. Brian Kelly was a an outside hire, no real ties. I think that was a bit of a surprise at the time, even though he had experienced a lot of success at Cincinnati. Um, Notre Dame is still very much a traditional program. And so to keep those family ties and, uh, you know, keep the guys that have sort of helped build them up and get them to where they want to be, I, I think it's a really good move. And I, I don't think that anyone should sleep on uh, the Tommy Reese, not not hiring of, but by retaining him, I think that's only going to help Marcus Freeman, um, both short term and long term. Yeah, and in speaking of Tommy Reese, it seems kind of odd that it seems like nobody wants to to coach with Brian Kelly in LSU. He's, you know, he's. I don't he's, think it seems odd at all. <laughs> you know, yeah, that that's fair, I guess. But yeah, and Tommy Reese didn't didn't go with him to LSU, even though Brian Kelly clearly wanted him to. You know, Brian Kelly's reached out to a number of other potential assistants, and it seems like everyone just keeps 
turning them down. I'm not quite sure who is coaching LSU in their bowl game, but I think it's going to be interesting down there. That's another program that, you know, it's it's we, we kind of talked about last week with, with the Brian Kelly stuff, but I think that the the lack of assistance that he's been able to hire so far is, is a bit troubling. You know, I'm sure that in the long run it'll be fine, but it is just a little odd note there. But I think, you know, overall, I think that's most of the of the news that's gone on the coaching carousel thus far. I'm sure there'll be a ton of other news as they're, you know, as one coach leaves one job, that job opens, and now another coach has to fill that job. But uh, yeah, it's it's going to be a, a wild and crazy off season, both with player movement and coaching movement. And I, I'm you know I'm excited for it. Obviously, we'd rather be sitting around waiting for the Ohio State playoff game. But you know we have the Rose Bowl coming up. We'll have the off season. We now have a defensive coordinator that we think can turn things around. So I think you know all things considered, it's it's uh, going to be fun. Yeah, Keith, and I want to bring up uh, you know obviously I want to bring up Ohio State, but something that we did not touch on previously, and uh, and again on this pod, rumors were that Tony Alford was. Uh, a candidate for the Colorado State job. He went to Colorado State. Um, he either turned that down or they chose to go in another direction. So we're retaining Alfred to coach the running backs. He's been with Ohio State for a number of years. Um, guys love him. So there's some continuity, but I'm still interested to see what the Knowles hire means for the Ohio State staff on the defensive side of the ball. If you're only bringing in one guy, that um, surely, or, you know, you would assume that that means somebody is leaving. I, I don't really want to speculate on that. And Gene, if you want to jump in, because I'm just not sure what it means, but I don't, it's clear that this is not the one and only move on the defensive side of the ball. So I'm still interested. I think that all of these offensive coaches are coming back. I think that they keep that room together, but I think that we're going to see, I think we will potentially see some additional shakeup on the defensive side of the ball. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, for starters, I think that there's one guy on offense that that they need to find a replacement for, and that's Greg Studrawa. Um, I don't uh, think, yeah, maybe, maybe. I don't think the offensive line has, has quite played up to par. Clearly, the, the four tackles offensive line was was a bad idea and one that didn't quite work out for the way that Ohio State wanted to run its offense, especially with a lot of the the inside zone runs. You need guards there to be able to, to pull that off. You need like a true center, and Ohio State just didn't really find it. Just despite having a ton of talent across the offensive line and not you know not one single guy that was like particularly bad. It just you're asking tackles to do something that they're not used to doing, and it, it created a pretty poor run game, and it, it kind of them at the end of the year. So I think that, you know, between the recruiting lack of uh, that Sudrava's had in Columbus and, and the way that he's been able to kind of not really develop guys all that well, um, I, I think that they could certainly look for a new offensive line coach. But on defense, yeah, I, I think there's still some shakeup to be had. I don't know how much um, autonomy Ryan Day will give, you know, kind of Knowles and maybe identifying a couple guys that he wants to bring in or guys that he knows that could kind of help them out. Um, I don't imagine we will see um, Al Washington and Columbus next year. If we do, I'd be I'd be kind of surprised about that. Um, Larry Johnson isn't going anywhere unless he retires. So I imagine he'll be around as well. He doesn't seem like he's quite ready to hang it up just yet. Uh, Matt Barnes and Kerry Combs are both interesting to me because I think that they're you know while neither of them are obviously going to be in a defensive coordinator role, I'll be interested to see if either of them stick around in other roles. I would love to see Kerry Combs go back to coaching cornerbacks. He's really good at that. He's really good at recruiting them, and he's he's done a great job of developing them. So if he would be willing to go back to that role, I don't know if he is, but if he would, I would I would love to see that. And then. You know, if Matt Barnes wants to coach safeties or, or do something else on the defense, I think he's, you know, he's earned a spot on his defense. I don't want him calling plays anymore. I think he, you know, he was okay at best, but that's clearly not his his niche. So if they want to move him to another spot, they can as well. But he, he may wind up being a casualty of having, you know, too many guys on the staff. You can only have a certain X number of guys back there. So I don't really know what's going to happen. But yeah, I, I think Ohio State, you know, Knowles is a guy that kind of specializes in linebackers in the front seven. So maybe he knows a guy or they hire kind of a lesser guy that and Knowles is really the the, the primary guy in the linebacker room, but either way, I do think that there's there's more shakeup to be had, and I, I know I don't think that he's really going to do much until after the Rose Bowl and after signing day, but I, I do think change is coming. Yeah, and I forgot about uh, Kevin Wilson also on the offensive side of the ball, so I, I guess I uh, maybe missed two. That's because he doesn't have a real job. It's just Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson's there <laughs> as his friend. Yeah, and, and I don't think that there's a move or I, I don't think Ryan Day was necessarily looking or is necessarily looking to get rid of Kevin Wilson, but his name was thrown out there as a candidate for the Akron job. So I do wonder if he continues to look elsewhere or looks elsewhere at all. Uh, it seems like he's got a pretty decent gig here at Ohio State. And whether he calls the plays or not, I do think that, uh, you know, he's an experienced head coach. He's been 
over or involved with a number of, uh, you know, strong offenses in his past. So I, I think he's a good guy to have, especially if you've got a guy like Ryan Day sort of running the show. I, I look at Kevin Wilson as a true assistant in, in that term or in those terms that he he's not necessarily I think he's also the tight ends coach, if I'm not mistaken. Um, also, also a fake job at Ohio State. There are no tight ends. It doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah, you're kind of shooting holes in his resume here. But, um, you know, I, I think I'd like to see him stick around just for continuity purposes. And really, what do you need to change on the offensive side of the ball? You spoke about the offensive line. I'm not going to disagree, but... Keep everything else intact. Keep the cohesion on that side of the ball. You're putting up 50 points a game. You've got one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Uh, You've got one of the best running backs in the country. You know what the wide receivers are like. So anything you can do to kind of keep that group together, especially their coaches, I, I think it's a good thing. I don't see a big need for change, but um, I, I guess in the end, I would not be disappointed if, uh, maybe Coach Stud looks elsewhere, but you know if they retain him, uh, I think we've got bigger problems on the other side of the ball. So uh, I'm not going to be too upset if that entire staff on the offensive side uh, remains. Yeah, I have no problems with Kevin Wilson, and while most of that is just because I don't think he really does anything, so I don't. There's nothing to have a problem with. Um, I think that maybe you know. I don't know if Ryan Day wants to really butt heads with anybody else that wants to have more of a, of a handle on the offense because we know that Ryan Day likes to call the plays and likes to be, you know, the guy in charge of the offense. You know, if he had another guy that was more of a, a guy that was there to just be like, hey, like when, whenever we play in a big game, just be like, hey, Ryan, like run the good plays instead of the bad ones. I think having someone like that would be valuable. You know, maybe like, hey, Ryan, remember when we had all that fun wide receiver motion that was working? Maybe toss some of those in against Michigan. I think having, <laughs> having a guy to maybe bring up that kind of stuff would be more helpful, but I don't see him, you know, like you said, I think the offensive staff is going to remain largely intact. I don't see much, much change coming there. I think it's mostly going to be on the defensive side. And I think that this, you know, the Knowles move is a good sign. I think it means, you know, I was worried, especially that, you know, they were just going to come into next season and, and have the same staff and kind of run it back and hope that things got better, even though there would be no reason for them to be with the same coaching staff. So I'm glad that, you know, he's going out, he's made this big splash already. It makes me more, you know, uh, optimistic that he'll make better moves across the board and, and kind of bring in more guys to, to help out on that side of the ball. And I, I think that it's good that he realizes how, the defense really, really needs help and that he he can't do it all himself. I think that it's going to be important next year for Ryan Day to kind of take his hand off the defense. I think he should really just focus on the offense, let Knowles and his staff worry about the defense. Don't, you know, whatever style he wants to run, whatever formation he wants to run, let him run his defense. Don't meddle with it. You're the offense guy. Worry about the offense. Don't try to be fully hands-on across the board. There's no need for that. You know, obviously you're the head coach and you get final say on everything, but you know, it, it's a lot, it's a lot of work to coach the offense and the defense. And it's, it's a, you know, both are going to start lacking if you're trying to worry about both. So worry about focusing on the offense, you know, get that going at hundred percent, let Knowles and whoever you bring in on that defensive staff, worry about the defense. And I think that, you know, Ohio state could be in for, for a bounce back year on the defensive side. And that could lead to, you know, an actual college football playoff berth next year. Hopefully. And I think that hopefully the Knowles hire um, provides some more of that optimism optimism that you spoke of. Um, you know, we lost Quinn Ewers. We lost Craig Young, a um, couple other linebackers before that, Jack Miller, and the defense underperformed. And all of that kind of happened um, in a short time frame. And I feel like a lot of Ohio State fans they went doom and gloom, right? They went to negative town. They were like, oh my gosh, you know, we can't play defense. We're losing all these guys. We lost Quinn Ewers. Ohio State's going to be fine. Ryan Day will make some changes. And whether you love a guy like Eli Ricks or not, you know, the brand is as strong as ever. Did it? Did the season end the way we wanted it to? Hell no. We want to win. <clears throat> Excuse me. We would like to be in the running or win a national title. Every single year. That's not the way the world works. That's not the way that college football works. So give it some time. Let Ryan Day work his magic. Don't be so down on the program or the coach. Let things happen. Let the offseason develop and see where we're at come next September, next October. And, And then if we're still not in a good position, then you can piss and moan all you want. But 
I, I think that this team, this program is heading in the right direction. And the Knowles hire is just one of those, another step in that direction. If there's nothing Ohio State fans are good of, it's complaining about very minute details of the Ohio State football team. And we love them for that. Um, but yeah, I think that's I think that's pretty much it for today. I don't know if there's any really other news and notes to discuss. Hopefully there will be you know more stuff in the coming weeks. Obviously the team will start preparing for the Rose Bowl game. Uh, we might learn a little bit about which players are and aren't going to play. You know, it's it sounds like you know some of them are still pondering it. I, I saw specifically Garrett Wilson saying you know he wasn't quite sure whether or not he'd play. Obviously you know he we know he's going to go to the NFL. I don't. Please don't make the Chris Olave decision to come back. Please go make that money in the NFL. Obviously, we love to have him here, but he deserves to be making millions of dollars for his efforts on the football field on Sunday. So all that will likely be coming down the pipe in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but that's going to be it for this episode. Uh, be sure to, to like, rate, view, subscribe, all that great stuff. Um, follow us on Land Grant Holy Land for all of our content we still have coming out obviously like we said there's going to be basketball to talk about we'll be doing a lot more of that coming up here uh, the Buckeyes will play if this is coming out on Wednesday the Buckeyes will play tonight against Towson which for some reason is being played uh, post 9pm even though it's at, in Columbus don't really get that one but shameful we, yeah, yeah very shameful don't they think about the kids that have school the next day come on guys uh, and me who wants to just go to bed uh, but but nonetheless uh, that'll be it for us and uh, yeah that's it so as always go Bucks, and we'll see you next time